I want them to know that fungi could be very scary, but if you know them, then they could also be very friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to People, Parasites, and Plagues, a podcast aimed at delivering information about the fascinating pathogens among us from the scientists who study them. I am David Peterson. And I'm Kim Klonowski, your hosts for today's episode. Recently, fungal pathogens have been featured in books, video games, and TV. Today, we'll sort out the scientific facts from fiction of these deadly pathogens. Our guest today is Dr. Xiaorong Lin, the Jeannie Michaels Professor of Medical Mycology and a faculty member in the Department of Microbiology. She's also an adjunct professor in other departments, including plant biology and infectious diseases, and a member of the Fungal Biology Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Georgia. Dr. Lin's work is focused on molecular mechanisms of fungal pathogenesis and development of vaccines and antifungal drugs. Xiaorong, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's my pleasure. So one thing I want to start out with, you did both your undergraduate and master's work in chemical engineering. So what made you decide to jump to biology and in particular work on fungi? So I was trained as chemical engineering. And while I was going to get my PhD in chemical engineering, I discovered that I have a love for biology even though I have never taken a biology class since high school. And I was interested in carbon, carbon hydrate research. And so I did a research and find University of Georgia have the best, is the best place for carbon hydrate research. So that's why I came to UGA and did my PhD. And when I was doing rotation, I rotated in Dr. Michelle Mummer's lab in plant biology, and she studied the model fungus Aspergillus nigellans. I was just fascinated by fungal biology since then. Wow, that's great. So we thought we would maybe start today by asking you to simply tell us, what are fungi? Um, fungi are different from many other microbes that people are familiar with, for example, bacteria. And, but it's actually very closely related to humans in terms of cell biology and the fundamental process of biology. It is a eukaryotic microbe. That means it has a nucleus, just like humans do, very different from bacteria. And some of the fungi species are very large. For example, the mushroom people eat at grocery store. They are not vegetables, and they are fungi. There are microbes or fungi that are very small. The fungi that we study that cause human disease are very small, and you will not be able to see individual cells with your bare eyes, and you have to study them with microscope. So at UGA, um, you're in fact a member of the Fungal Biology Interdisciplinary Group. And how many fungal folks do we have here at UGA? UGA is a very unique place for fungal biology research. And this is probably one of the very few places in the whole entire world that have a large number of fungal biologists on campus. So we have about 15 research labs in the UGA, and including um, two research labs in U USDA that is associated with UGA. And people study all kinds of topics on fungal biology. And there are people study plant fungal pathogens, and there are people study human fungal pathogens. 
and there are people studying model fungal species, including Saccharomyces, Neurospora crassa, and Aspergillus nigrinans. And some people are biochemists, some people are geneticists, and some people are bioinformaticists. So there are all kinds of topics that is being researched um, at the University of Georgia campus. So in your own lab, you have research projects concerning two different fungi. Are they somehow related, or you just have a general interest in, in both? I have love for both. Um, one reason is when I was a PhD student, I, I studied Aspergillus nigrinans, uh, which is closely related to Aspergillus fumigatus. Aspergillus fumigatus is a major human fungal pathogen that infects mostly organ transplant patients and also cancer um, patients. And this causes mostly invasive lung infections, but can also cause allergic or asthma um, syndromes. Cryptococcus leuformans is another fungus that I study. This fungus is a yeast form, and this is something I was trained when I was a postdoc fellow at Duke. And this fungus mostly affects AIDS patients. And in terms of difference between these two pathogens, they are actually very divergent, very similar to you will see bacterial pathogens. Some of them are gram-negative pathogens, some of them are gram-positive bacteria. So for Cryptococcus and Aspergillus, they are very divergent in that sense, um, probably more than 600 million years ago before they diverged. Okay, so they've been diverging for quite a long, quite a while. <laughs> very, very long time. So you mentioned the fact that AIDS patients are specifically susceptible to some fungi like cryptococcus. And when I teach immunology, we talk about fungal infections as being opportunistic pathogens. So can you talk to us a little bit about opportunistic pathogens and who um, is at risk for these besides maybe AIDS patients? So pathogen and fungal pathogens do not just uh, infect immunocompromised individuals like AIDS patients or organ transplant patients. Um, I just use these two opportunistic fungal pathogens as an example. There are actually a lot of fungal pathogens just affect all of us almost. Very common example is athletic foot uh, oh. fungus. For example, I think the majority of the population have certain degree of athletic foot. And another example is dandruff. Like dandruff is actually caused by fungi, overgrowth of fungi on the skin. They can also cause all kinds of skin infection as well, um, dermatitis, all kinds of dermatitis, and also ringworm infection, for example, is also very common. So vast majority of us are actually affected by fungal infections. But those infections are typically pretty minor, can be controlled. But I also want to stress that even in immunocompetent individuals like us, when we get those skin infections, it is almost impossible to cure them. You can control them with medication, but you cannot really completely get rid of them. And those are just superficial infection. Then we talk about invasive fungal disease, and these can infect immunocompetent individuals and also immunocompromised individuals. And those infections we call deep mycosis, they can infect almost any organ in the body. And Cryptococcus neoformans, for example, cause Cryptococcal meningitis. That is the infection of the brain tissue. And Aspergillus fumigatus primarily infect lung tissue. So you mentioned for the skin infection that it's almost impossible to get rid of completely. Does that mean that we just don't have 
good drugs for treatment of these diseases? Um, there are some drugs that is available over the counter, and very similar drugs you can get prescription strength. Um, in general, there are very, very few classes of antifungals available compared to even antibiotics that treat bacterial infection. And we already know how dire the situation is, even for antibiotics. So in terms of treating systemic fungal infection, there are only three classes of antifungals that are clinically available um, used to treat fungal infections. One is actually used in clinics since 1950s. And another, these are the polyene drugs, for example, aphitericin B. Another class of drugs called azo drugs are used in 19, since 1990s. And then we have another class of antifungals, echinocating drugs, that is used in clinically since early 2000. And so in the past 20 years, we don't have any other new classes of drugs uh, in the market. So why are there so few drugs and vaccines against fungi? Is there something about the development of these that makes them so challenging to develop? There are a few factors that make it very challenging to develop antifungal drugs. Scientifically, it is because the fungi are just so closely resemble human cells. As I mentioned earlier, fungi are eukaryotic microbes. And compared to bacteria, they are actually very close to humans compared to plants and even a lot of parasites. So at the basic cellular level and biochemical pathway level, fungi are just very similar to humans, which makes it very difficult to find target that is specific to fungi. I mentioned three classes of drugs that are used clinically to treat systemic infection. Only one class of drugs, echinocating drugs, that target fungal cell wall biosynthesis that does not have equivalent in humans. The other two classes of drugs, polyene drugs, for example, target ergosterol in the fungal plasma membrane or cell membrane. And humans have equivalent of that cholesterol, which is famous, and that is very structurally similar to ergosterol in fungi and have very similar function. So that's where the side effect comes from. The other class of drugs, the azo drugs, target enzyme that is used to synthesize ergosterol in fungi. And humans also have something equivalent that we use to synthesize cholesterol. So here I just give you this example to show how challenging it is to find very selective target of fungi. And each of these classes of drugs have its own limitations. The echinocainian drugs like caspofungin that target beta-1,3 glucan biosynthesis in the fungal cell wall that does not present in humans is ideal drug, right? But it does not inhibit growth of some fungal pathogens, including cryptococcus neoformans. It's just not effective uh, in vitro or in vivo. You know, some of this reminds me of the challenges in chemotherapy for cancer because the cancer cells aren't just similar to regular cells. They are. Mm -hmm. They've just gone off on their own pathway. So I, I see why that's such a challenge. I'm glad you mentioned this, actually. <laughs> I do think fungal infection, particularly systemic infection, is very similar to cancer in the sense that the drugs we use is very difficult to differentiate whether this is a host cell or fungal cells or whether these are cancer cells versus normal cells. Like, actually, some of the um, antifungals were originally developed to treat cancers. Ah, interesting. interesting. Yeah. So I guess, I guess the next question is, 
Where does your research come into this? So I think to treat this kind of problem for fungal infection, like there are about 1.5 million to 2 million of um, systemic or invasive fungal infection every year globally. And even just for Cryptococcus newformans, it kills almost 200,000 people every year globally. And also with the current antifungal therapy, for Cryptococcal infection, for example, the mortality rate globally is about 70%. That is worse than many cancers that we know. So the challenge is vast. And we apparently know that the antifungal therapy is not sufficient. So what we want to do in my research group and also with my collaborators, uh, three, three aspects of research that we do. One is how we can increase antifungal drug efficacy. One is how, and how can we prevent fungal infection by developing vaccines. The third is how can we study this fungal biology a little bit better so we can find better ways to both to prevent and develop antifungal drugs. So one of your research projects involves melanin, and I think most of our listeners will be familiar with melanin as a pigment in skin and hair and eyes, and yet uh, I guess this tra- traces back to fungi being very similar because they make melanin. So tell us about what they do with that. Melanin is a fascinating biopolymer or biopigmentation that is found in all kinds of biological organisms. Um, fungi are exceptionally good in making melanin, and humans make melanin too. So we all know why actually pigmentation is helpful to us because it protects us from UV radiation. And this is something that it protects the fungi too. It protects fungi from all kinds of insults, both from chemical insults and physical insults. And for example, some of the fungi will be able to survive in the outer space. They could contaminate our uh, you know, spacecrafts. And most of these fungi, because they are heavily melanized, they can withstand those radiations in the outer space. Again, oh. like a, a cancer cell, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, the parallels are really remarkable. So um, would the melanin synthesis pathway in fungi be a good target? Is, are you or anybody working on that? A lot of people do uh, try to use melanin. It is a violence factor in a lot of fungal pathogens that people study, but it's kind of difficult to target melanin biosynthesis because it is often contribute to the violence, but it does not completely block violence. And so that will be a good target, but it probably should not be a, a single target. So I was interested to read on your lab website about the relationship between morphology of cryptococcus, the other genus that you study, and its relation to virulence. So the form that it takes is is tied to how sick it'll make you. Yes, I think morphology is something I'm always fascinated uh, with since I was a graduate student. And because it's like a lot of people are fascinated with uh, shapeshifters, you know, in the cartoons. And I think fungi are a terrific example of that, even though fungi have cell wall and people think they're very rigid. But in reality, they can take all kinds of forms. Most of us are probably familiar with the yeast form, and 
a lot of us are also familiar with the filamentous form where they can grow expansively and invasively. But some of the fungi can switch between a yeast form and a hyphae form. And Quipcacus neoformans is one of them. But I do want to stress that actually, the vast majority of human fungal pathogen species are actually dimorphic. When I call dimorphic, that means they can switch between yeast-like form and hyphae form. And so this is something that um, people in the medical mycology field are fascinated with since very early on, because this is just observing many, many human fungal pathogens. This is quite fascinating, and I'm really coming to appreciate fungi. As somebody who studies viruses, which you know, tend to be so much more well-studied than fungi, I'm wondering why we don't have more people studying fungi. I mean, it seems to be a real problem. I do think they are under-studied uh, species or kingdom, even though they, they are a kingdom themselves. There are multiple reasons why this is not well-studied. So I used to teach fundamentals of microbiology in Texas A&M. And in that class, we have about 41 lectures in total. And only two lectures are devoted to fungi. So I think even at undergraduate level, most people are just not very exposed to fungal biology. And even, I think, for physicians who study or infectious disease fellow, they probably are more exposed to virus and bacteria and parasites than actually medical mycology that study fungal diseases. And I think this is something that needs to be addressed. And one thing I hope to help to fill the gap is to develop fungal classes. For example, I develop medical mycology class um, both in Texas A&M, and I also teach medical mycology class here to both undergraduate student and graduate student, and hoping that they understand more about fungal pathogenesis and fungi in general. And at UGA, we do have a lot of classes devoted to fungi, so this is the best place to get exposed to fungal biology. You know, the, the new grad students we bring in every year, it's probably most common that they're interested in working on what they know and what they learned as an undergrad or what they researched as an undergrad. So you're right, if they weren't exposed to mycology as an undergrad, that won't even be on their radar. I completely agree with you. And I accidentally fall in love with fungal biology because I did a rotation with Michelle after another rotation in the CCRC. I have never think about fungal biology before my life then. And I just found it is really fascinating field with fascinating people. I think what draws me to medical mycology is not only those fungal species are fascinating, but people are extremely supportive in this field. So if you had three things you wanted the public to know and understand about fungi, what would those three things be? I think I want them to know that fungi could be very scary, but if you know them, then they could also be very friendly. (laughs) (laughs) And they look really cool. They look very cool. And I say fungi do a lot of good things for humanity, uh, including fermentation, for example. A lot of uh, bio... Industrial product we use are made by fungi, including acetic acid, for example. A lot of amino acid and a lot of biotech companies actually use fungi to make all kinds of cool products, uh, including uh, animal food, pet food, and stuff like that. 
So learning about fungi, not just to talk about the disease. Of course, actually fungi, I just want to stress, fungi actually cause almost about 80% of plant disease. So it is a huge problem in plant biology field. And fungi are also terrible in terms of causing other diseases. For example, frog species. Most frog species become extinct because of fungal infection. A lot of, a lot of bats. Bats died because of fungal infection. I think we as humans are actually kind of lucky that most of us are resistant to fungi. And I think one big factor is that we have very high body temperature and that shield us from infection from many fungal species because they do not grow in very high temperature. And I think if there is one thing I want people to do is that climate change is real. With the environment being warmer and warmer, Fungi is very good and adapt to their environment. So more and more species will be able to grow in higher temperature. That means there will be more potentially pathogens that could infect us. And then we are really in trouble. That will be the scenario of the last of us. I was waiting for that to come up. <laughs> so, and also, I was going to ask you about the, the frog uh, and the bats. Now, with the frogs... They're, of course, um, not – are frogs warm-blooded? No. No, thank you. <laughs> I, I was about to say they're not warm-blooded and realized I didn't know. Um, bats, though, are mammals, so – but I don't know what they're – I mean, different mammals have different body temperatures, so I don't know what bats are, but I wonder now if maybe you know or maybe they do have a slightly lower body temperature. So bats are mammals. They do normally have very high body temperature, yeah. but there are periods of time when they actually lower their temperature. When they hibernate? Or? Exactly. Oh, I no. think that's also part of the reason why they will fall prey to fungal infections. That makes complete sense. Fascinating. I am learning so much today. My brain yeah. is about to explode. <laughs> <laughs> so you brought up the show This Is Us, which I believe was based off of a video game. So, of course, I watched the show. David had known I, about I'm, the video I'm game. I'm familiar with the video right, game. Right, right. Um, so I thought that was fascinating when that came out because, again, viruses were the things that kind of become the big baddies in these shows, right? The things that are going to wipe us off or annihilate humans. Um, did you watch that show? I did. I actually loved it. You did? <laughs> so what did that show get right or wrong about fungi? There are many things they did get it right. For example, um, the fungal infection they depicted in the movie is based on cordyceps. Those are the um, zombie-ass fungal pathogens. And in the planet Earth, that documentary actually have a zombie-ass fungus infection. I actually typically play that to my students. And so these zombie-ass will infect the brain of these ants and then the ants will climb up to the tree when they are dying, and they will hang really tight to the tree. So when they are dead, the fungus is way top on the tree branch, and then where they can spoil it and disseminate their spores, so they can infect more ants. And another thing they got it right is the communication. We all know trees or plants in general are always associated with plants, or always associated with fungi, and these hyphae do connect with each other, they uh, communicate with their hosts and the plants, but they also communicate with each other. So they do have in the scenario in the movie where the fungus talking to each other. Just to be 
clears y'all wrong. When you were watching The Last of Us, were you rooting for the humans or the <laughs> fungus? I... You know, as a humans, I do hope we will survive as a species. And uh, but realistically, I also think human species as a species probably will have very short uh, history on Earth. Uh, so I don't know. I think if we don't protect our planet. Actually, the planet doesn't need protection. We need protection. If we don't protect us, protect our environment, we are going to fall prey to many things, and fungi included. Well, I know personally I'm going to do whatever I can to keep my body temperature high. (laughs) (laughs) Fever is a good mechanism of defense. That has been shown to a lot of infections. Okay. Well, Zhao Rong, thank you very much. Our guest today has been Dr. Zhao Rong Lin from the Department of Microbiology at the University of Georgia. Zhao Rong, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. So links to additional information about Dr. Lin's research can be found at our website at fid.uga.edu backslash PPP, as well as our Instagram account, which is at PPP Podcast UGA. That's, that's at Triple P, (laughs) Podcast UGA. All one word. (laughs) All one word. Okay, thank you for tuning in today. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, you can reach out to us via email at ppp at uga.edu. This podcast is brought to you by the Faculty of Infectious Diseases and the Grady College of Journalism at the University of Georgia. It is supported by the University of Georgia through the Office of Research and the UGA Graduate School and the College of Veterinary Medicine.